going through the book of Galatians. We're looking at what is the gospel and is there only one gospel? And, and if you could tell by the name of the series, there is no other gospel by which we um, are saved. Um, this week, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3. So go ahead, if you have a Bible, go and turn there, Galatians chapter 3. We'll be uh, reading from verses 1 through 9 here in just a little bit. And so when Jesus comes, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there is uh, 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 salvation in no one else. And so there is only one plan of God for salvation for sinners, and that's what we've been talking through um, over the course of the last few weeks as we've been looking at Galatians. Um, And this morning, what we're going to be discovering, what Paul is going to be teaching us through God's Word, um, is the importance of faith when it comes to the gospel. We are going to see that we are initially saved and justified by faith. We continue in the Christian life by faith, and it's actually been the entire plan of God to be through faith alone. And so, before we get into that, though, uh, we, do, we are going to address some, some, maybe the underlying issue that Paul has with the Galatians. He used some very firm and strong language here in Galatians 3, so we've got to talk about that first, and then we'll look at salvation by faith alone. So if you would please, um, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We stand each week out of reverence and awe for a God who is holy, 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 and we believe His Word is just as holy, and so we stand out of reverence for it. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good, and Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. You are set apart, you are, um, you are beautiful and right and true, Lord, and we, we come and worship you today, um, and we seek to put our faith in you, um, in you alone. Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you teach us of your word? Would you teach us, uh, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that would understand you that we would not leave this place today um, the same as when we came in? That through your spirit, which has come by faith, um, would change us, would lead us, would guide us. And Lord, as we look at this passage and hear the preaching of your word, Lord, uh, would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So Paul begins this passage, Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. See, when when Paul originally came to the Galatian region, uh, which that's in modern-day Turkey, about in the central region of Turkey, he shared with them the good news of the gospel of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. 
Paul planted this church on his first missionary journey somewhere between A.D. 47 and 48. And it's during this time that Paul says he came to the Galatians and, 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 and Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The Galatians, through Paul, in essence, saw Christ crucified. Now, some of you might already see the problem here. Paul is saying that in Galatia, and the Galatians saw Christ crucified in Galatia in A.D. 47. For those of you who are familiar with, with history, Jesus was crucified not in Galatia, he was crucified in Jerusalem, not in A.D. 47, but around A.D. 33. So how can Paul say that the Galatians saw Christ crucified, even though it's 15 years later and over a thousand miles away? Was Paul wrong? Did he make a mistake? See, when Paul came to Galatia, he preached Christ crucified. He proclaimed, he publicly proclaimed the forgiveness of sins. He proclaimed in the words of Isaiah, he proclaimed good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. He proclaimed the year of Lord's favor. Christ has come, and there is salvation in no one else, for the cross has satisfied the wrath of God for sin. Christ crucified was what he preached. And I have no doubt that when Paul came to Galatia, it was in a very similar way that he came to the Corinthian church, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, And I, Paul, when I came to you, the Corinthians, brothers, uh, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not, not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, in the power, but in the power of God. See, Paul came to the Galatians, and his message was simple. Christ was crucified. However, in this proclamation, the Galatians were able to see the truth and the power of God. And although the Galatians did not physically see the crucifixion, through Paul preaching Jesus on the cross, that it was as if Christ was crucified right in front of them and they saw it with spiritual eyes to see. And this is one of the reasons that we believe here uh, why preaching is so important. Even though we are now 2,000 years removed from the cross of Christ, each week through preaching, Christ is presented before you. Every week we gather together to see Christ crucified. Nick and I or anyone else, anyone else who preaches from this stage will always bring you the central truth of the gospel. Christ crucified. We endeavor to present to you your Savior. We aren't the best speakers. We aren't the most eloquent. But we commit to always bring us back to this point that it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. So church, open your eyes. Pay attention. There are so many things that are going on in the world and even in your mind right now, but Sunday is a matter of utmost importance. Don't be a lazy listener. Don't wander in your mind, but stay focused. You are being presented as if you were physically there, Christ on the cross before you. Receive it not merely as the words of man, but as it really is the words of God. And so Paul comes to the Galatians, and he preaches them the good news of the risen Christ. He comes to them, he stays a little while with them, 
and then eventually he leaves. He goes back, uh, eventually returns back to Jerusalem, and then he writes this letter. He writes this letter about anywhere from two to maybe five years after he planted the church. So this church is about two, two to three, maybe four years old. And since then, in that short time period, in that two to four years from when Paul preached Christ crucified to now writing this letter, things have gone a little astray. Since the Judaizers, since then the Judaizers have come in and disrupted the faith and the gospel they received from Paul. And Paul rebukes them here in Galatians 3 in the strongest language he uses in any of his letters. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Foolish Galatians. The Greek here is anaitos, which literally means without your mind or, or no mind, stupid, idiots, morons. The Galatians have come to believe that they will receive the righteousness of God through works of the law. They are now trying to add to the work of Christ, their own good works and their own standard. And Paul responds, are you out of your mind? What are you doing? Their foolishness is not a result of ignorance, not a lack of intelligence, but the foolishness here is there's a moral component to their foolishness. It's a carelessness of thought. A choosing of that which is incorrect because you have not thought through the implications. A willful naivety, a mental laziness. It's the same concept in Jeremiah 4 when God says, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children who have no understanding. That's what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. They knew the truth, but they were, and they were presented with a lie, and they accepted it because they did not put in any effort. Foolish. They were bewitched. They were charmed. They were seduced. They were led astray. They were confused. They were captiva- captivated by another that diverted them from the truth. Like a sailor caught in the siren's call, listening to the empty music, unable to control themselves, they were pulled in and pulled into their death. Like a snake charmed by the flute player, thinking that they are merely enjoying good music, they are in in reality being hypnotized. Paul is literally asking, who put a spell on you that you would believe what is false? After seeing the truth so clearly in front of you and accepting it, who has so easily led you astray? The Galatians have been seduced into believing a false gospel that will not save. And take a moment, look out in the church in America today. Is the church in America being bewitched? Is the church believing a twisted gospel? Is there not numerous deceivers leading astray churches? We have so many churches today in America that have been bewitched into preaching a gospel that H. Richard Neighbor said, a gospel that is a God without wrath, brought men without sin, into a kingdom without judgment, through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. Influenced by the culture around them, so many churches have been led astray from the true gospel. The truth of God's salvation for sinners has been so weakened so it can be accepted by the culture that wants nothing to do with God. Now, it's all well and good to speak of how other churches are being bewitched. 
But we don't want to be so foolish in our thoughts by thinking it can't or won't happen to to us. It can't or won't happen to me. Consider the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, what happened to the Galatians is not unique but is a danger for every church. We are all subject to the same dangers. So as we consider, as we continue, consider that which is bewitching you. Are you being charmed into believing something other than the gospel that is not the gospel? Are you slowly being convinced of something other than what has saved you? Those that would charm us are all around. Be wary of what you fill your ears with. Be wary of what you watch. Be wary of what you let speak into your life. Be wary of what you read. Now, the elders of this church, we're not perfect. We will make mistakes and and we will fail you at times. But we have made a commitment to you to preach the truth of the gospel week in and week out, constantly clinging to the truth of God's word and the glory of the gospel. We have made a commitment to constantly point you to Christ alone, through faith alone, in the grace of God alone. We love you and we desire for you to grow in Christ crucified. These outside voices have made no such commitment to you. These bewitchers have made no such commitment. The news channel has made no such commitment to you. The podcaster, the new Christian book writer, the YouTube video creator has made no such commitment to you. The Instagram influencer, even the gospel preaching pastor you watch each week is not, has not made that same commitment to you. God has given to you the Timberline elders to shepherd you in the gospel. So many of us have become gullible in our faith. So mentally lazy in our approach to things that we listen to that just because it comes from someone on the other end of a screen or a camera, we absolutely believe it. And so many times it's anti-gospel, but we eat it up anyways. As Paul came and knew nothing but Christ crucified, are you known by your co-workers, are you known by your family and your friends as knowing nothing but Christ? Or has your message been diluted because you're caught up in the newest conspiracy theory, political or cultural conversation, or the newest Disney moral issue that they have? Do you ever get to the gospel? Are you tied up in the web of bewitchers? Be wary of everything that seeks to teach you. Do not be foolish in your thinking, lest, like the Galatians, you too be led astray. So that's my introduction. Good morning. Paul moves on from wondering about why they are bewitched, and he moves into what are they bewitched about. And so he gives us six rhetorical questions. Six rhetorical questions to address what the Galatians were confused about, this false gospel. And it's in these questions that he returns them to a gospel that salvation comes by faith alone, not on the basis of works. See, we begin the Christian life by faith. Verse 2 and 3. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What Paul is saying here is, is, is think back. Think back to when you came to faith and started following Jesus. Remember who you were. Remember your manner of life. Remember 
when you first saw Jesus with eyes of faith and saw him as sweet and saw your sins forgiven? When you were originally justified in that moment before God and you were saved, how did that happen? What did you do to regenerate your own dead heart and have it start beating again? What, what, what did you do? Did you do it by doing good deeds? Did you do it by giving money to the homeless? Did you regenerate your own heart by getting sober, by serving at soup kitchen? Did you regenerate your own heart by joining a table group? Did you regenerate your own heart by giving money to the church? Did you regenerate your own heart by something you did? No. Ephesians 2 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, no one, so that no one may boast. No, you did not earn salvation. It was given to you by the grace of God. God himself came to you through the Holy Spirit. He made your dead heart beat. He gave life to your dead spirit. The Holy Spirit caused you to be born again. It was the Spirit that enlightened and empowered your eyes to see. It was the Spirit who made Jesus look sweet to you. It was the Spirit who gave you eyes to hear and ears, I'm sorry, ears to hear and understand. It was the Spirit that broke sin's hold on you. It was the Spirit that made you alive. It was the Spirit that first made the gospel look beautiful and made you cling to Jesus as your only hope. It was the Spirit that made you a new creation. After times and times and times of hearing the truth of Jesus and reading the Scriptures and denying it, it was the Spirit that radically intervened in your life and caused you to accept it as it really is the Word of God. John 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 1 John 5, everyone who believed is born of God. 2 Corinthians 4, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. And it's with this new heart that we receive Christ in faith and we are justified. Romans 10.10 For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The gospel is preached. We hear it. We hear that God saves sinners through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again, and we accept it by faith. And through this faith that God has given us, we are justified in the sight of God. We are declared righteous as if we had never sinned in the first place. We are not justified in any other way. See, even faith is not a work. Faith is receiving the work that Christ has already done for us. We are offered salvation by God, and it's a gift of God. All we have to do is receive it. It's like if someone comes to you 
you know, with those really large checks for $25 trillion, and they walk up to you and they go, here, take it. Now, in the past, due to our sinful nature, we did not want anything to do with God. We loved the darkness and we hated the light because of our deadness in sin. We said, no, I don't want that check of $25 trillion. But God, being, because of his mercy for us, he opened our eyes to see and receive the check. He changed who we are. It isn't a work to receive. We just receive it. We accept it, and we are justified by God when we receive it. Faith is, is, is trusting. Faith is trusting that Christ is the answer I am looking for. He is the way to be forgiven of my sins. Faith says that beyond all else, Christ is worth it. And that he is the only way I'm going to turn my life around. Faith says I am going to wager my, my eternal existence and future on Christ's death and resurrection. I am not going to trust in anything else. We receive the Holy Spirit through faith. Not by doing good deeds or upholding the works of the law, but by faith. The Galatians, and so many of us here in this room have accepted that message from Paul, but they were bewitched and confused in their thinking. Having became a Christian, and it being such a radical act of God, they believed that they would only continue in the Christian life by doing works of the law. See, not only do we begin the Christian life by faith, we continue in the Christian life by faith. Paul hammers us with more rhetorical questions. Verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he, verse 5, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith. The re resounding answer that Paul is looking for for these rhetorical questions is by faith. At the start of the Christian life, we are justified, a one-time act where our sins are forgiven and we are given the righteousness of God. As we continue in the Christian life, we have a, long, a lifelong pursuit of sanctification or making us more holy. Sanctification is the process in which we are being conformed to the image of Christ's likeness. It's the process by which God is making his people holy. Literally, sanctification means holy making. The Christian life is now one of sanctification. It's where Paul talks in Colossians 3, we, we take off the old self in our old pre-faith practices, our old pre-faith sins, and we put on the new self that God has given us, the new creation. We put to death sinful tendencies in us. We put to death sexual immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire, coveting, idolatry, we put away anger and wrath and malice and slander, obscene talk, strife, divisions, dissensions, envy, we put away drunkenness. We do not follow in our past thoughts and past actions, for we have been made new. Instead, we work as God's chosen, chosen ones, redeemed by Christ, to have compassionate hearts, we seek to have kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We bear with one another. We're kind with one another. We forgive one another. We fight for joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We gradually think more like Christ, speak more like Christ, act more like Christ. We become more holy as God is holy as we gradually remove the effect of sin in our lives. 
So I want to ask, do we become more holy, more sanctified? Do we do it by doing good works or do we do it by faith? See, here is where sanctification become, can become a little bit challenging. It's a subtle difference, but I think it's an important one, and clearly Paul thinks it's an important one, um, because we think, okay, uh, uh, I, I believe in Christ through faith. I got, I, I got that part. Believe in Christ, justified, okay, good. Now I need, to, I need to live for him and to prove that I deserve what he did for me. I heard it first uh, when I was younger uh, by a Christian uh, preacher who said, Christ died for you, so now live for him. It's the idea that we know we have to earn what has already been given to us by doing good things. Let me be clear as I can. Doing good things by themselves does not initially save you, and doing good things by themselves does not make you more holy in sanctification. The Galatians have been warped in their thinking that as long as I do good things, I am okay. And they have practically reverted back to a works-based Christianity, a works-based religion. They reverted back to what Paul says in Romans 9, when he says that Israel failed to gain the righteousness because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on on works. If I do good things, then God will be happy with me. For the Galatians and so many of us, works are the end goal of the Christian life. If I come to church, if I give my money, if I read my Bible, then God will be happy with me. If I say the right things, God will be happy with me. If I don't sin, or if I, rather if I hide my sin, God will be happy with me. If I don't hang out with those people, then God will be happy with me. If I don't watch those movies, if I do all the good Christian things that we're supposed to do, then God will be happy with me. This kind of works-based sanctification or works-based Christianity results in two different things. First, it results in a church and to people that are incredibly proud and arrogant. It puffs people up. It echoes the Pharisees more than it echoes Christ. Look at all the things I've done. Surely God loves me. If you were to ask these people, how do you, how do you know that you are saved? They would point to all the things that they do. I'm saved uh, because I pray. I'm saved because I read the Bible. I'm saved because I go to church. I save, I'm saved because I voted this way or that way. I'm saved because I raised a good family. I'm saved because I do this or that. As such, it results in a disdain or a lack of compassion for others. Oh, I am better than that person who doesn't do the things that I do. That person doesn't dress the way that I think they should dress, and I'm, I'm, I'm better than them. That person is clearly not a Christian. Oh, if they were only like me, then their lives would be different. On the flip side, the second result of this type of works-based Christianity is despair. Bad things happen in our life. Clearly, God is not happy with me. I need to do more things for Him so God will be happy I need to make sure I earn what God has given to me. And then you fail, and then you fail, and then you fail, and you live with the thought of a God who is constantly angry with you because you can't perform for him. If, these, if you see these in your life, you see either of these in your life, you may be bewitched into thinking and trusting in a false gospel. What makes a works-based sanctification so foolish is just as good works cannot save you, good works alone cannot make you holy. See, for Paul, there has to be continuity and consistency. Either we are saved by faith and we are sanctified by faith, or we are saved by works 
and we're sanctified by works. And in the coming weeks, we're going to find out that no one is sanctified, no one is justified by works of the law. Why would we revert back to works which were completely unable to save us in the first place? No, we are justified by faith, and we are sanctified by faith. Colossians 2, 6, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. So we walk in him by faith. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we now live our lives in obedience and joy and faith in our Savior. Look up uh, in the, uh, the previous passage or the previous chapter to Galatians uh, 2, verse 20. There's just a couple of verses up. I have been crucified with Christ. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live... I live, uh, the, life I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live, what is it? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you might be thinking, okay, Jake, what am I actually supposed to do? I'm not supposed to be sanctified by works, but by faith, but the Bible says I should be doing good things. I should be reading my Bible. I should be praying and serving and loving those around me. I should be baptized and I should take communion. And you even mentioned earlier that we are to put aside the old and take on the new and do good things. So am I supposed to sit here and just wait for the faith so God can make me a better person, more holy? No, we, we still pursue good works and obey the Lord and live the Christian life to the best of our ability. But we pursue these things not with the goal of earning our salvation. We pursue these things not with the goal of earning our salvation. We do these things in the faith that we get more Jesus when we do them. In the faith that as I rid myself of sinful tendencies, I will become more like Jesus and I will see him with deeper eyes of faith. I work to read the Bible in the morning, not to earn God's approval, but through reading the Bible, I get to know more of Jesus. By doing good works that God has given to us, we don't earn anything, but we get to enjoy more of our Savior. Let me use this example. Why do people eat salads? Why do people eat salads? No one eats a salad because they enjoy eating salads. Let's just be clear about that. No, we, we eat salads in the faith that they will make us healthier, they will make us feel better, and that they will give us the nutrients to be a health, uh, healthier people. See, the Galatian problems... The Galatian problem in so many of ours is that we are proud of all the salads that we eat. Look at the salad I ate. It's so amazing. I had 10 salads this morning. Look at how great I am. We would not want to talk with someone who acted that way. Or to put it another way, you're driving along in your car and a puppy runs out in front of you. Okay? Okay? Why do you push the brake pedal down? Why do you push the brake pedal down? In the faith that your brake pedal will stop the car and the puppy will be safe. In that situation, we don't go, oh, wow, look at me. I am so good at pushing down pedals. Everyone should be like me. I am just so good at pushing pedals. In the same way, Good works are not the end goal, but rather they are the means to which we get to the end goal, namely greater Christ-likeness and communion with God. D.A. Carson once used the term grace-driven effort, that we rely completely on the grace of God in our sanctification. Uh, It empowers us to do good works. There is still effort on our part. There is still work to do 
And often the Christian life is really difficult and it's hard to want to read the Bible or come to church or get involved in a table group. It's hard to resist sin. But the effort and the work that we put into it is for the goal of holiness that we would see and know our Savior more deeply. We have faith that the grace of God would empower us to do good works. Philippians 2 says this in uh, uh, verses uh, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good, ple- good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work, put in effort, resist temptation and sin. Work to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Love one another at cost to yourself. Work out your salvation. For it is God who works in you. The grace of God drives our effort. He empowers us to live our new identity in Christ that we did not earn. We receive it through faith. We put in effort in the faith that our effort empowered by God, will make us pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, in the faith that our effort, empowered by God, will make us pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, Paul here says that the the Spirit is supplied to us and works among us. The power to do good works is the effect of the Spirit working in our life, not the cause of the Spirit. We do not cause the Spirit to sanctify us, but rather sanctification is the work of the Spirit already in our lives. For example, when we lived in Tucson, uh, we had one of those uh, uh, power wheel Jeeps. Um, You guys might have seen those. They're for kids. Um, Ours was pink, um, and it was Barbie-themed. It was for the girls. Um, And uh, they would would drive around. It wasn't for me. (laughs) Uh, They would drive around in the backyard, and they loved it. The, The dog hated it, but they loved it. One day I was outside in the backyard. I was doing some work. I was moving rocks and bricks from basically one side of the backyard to the other. And my daughter Evelyn wanted to help. And, you know, she was small. Um, She was around two at the time. And she was small, and she she couldn't really lift up and carry these rocks. And so she had the idea, hey, I'm going to put them in the back of the power wheel, and I'm going to carry it, I'm going to drive it, rather, I'm going to drive it to the other part of the yard. And then she would get out, and she would throw the rocks down and go back and get another load. She did this two or three times, um, and then, of course, the, 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 the battery started to wear out. The battery on the power wheel started to die and to the point where she was slowly inching along. Finally, it stopped, and no matter how many times she pushed on that pedal, it was not going anywhere. When the battery quit, her ability to help also quit. And it's not so different for us. The power of the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to do good and the ability to do good. No matter how much she would have worked, that battery would not have charged. No, that battery enabled her to do the work that she wanted to do. And so, Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. So do not give up. Do not give up in your effort to be rid of sin. Do not give up in your pursuit of God. Through faith, keep going. Through faith, keep getting up. Through faith, keep trying again. Run the race. Through faith, fix your eyes on Jesus. Through faith, forsake sin. Through faith, lay aside the old and put on the new. Through faith, attain what has already been given you in Christ Jesus. And to prove this point, 
to prove that it's all about faith, both, both our initial salvation and the working out of our salvation in the Christian life, uh, to prove this point, Paul turns to Abraham. He turns to Abraham to show us that it's always been about faith. The entire Bible is about faith. See, the Judaizers of Paul's day would say that if one becomes a Christian, they would need to uphold the, the Old Testament Mosaic law, that your righteousness would come by doing good works and upholding the law by following the over 200 rules in the Mosaic law, they would be considered righteous before God. Now, Paul will go on in later chapters to show us that the law in and of itself cannot provide righteousness. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about that in depth. But Paul makes a simple argument here. Abraham, the first the patriarch, the first Jew, was justified. He was justified by faith, not by the law, because the law comes 400 years after Abraham was alive. No, Abraham was justified by faith. Look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, knowing then that it is of faith, uh, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In this short section, Paul quotes Genesis twice. He quotes Genesis 15 and Genesis 12. In verse 6, he quotes Genesis 15, um, which says, And he brought him outside. God brought Abraham outside and said, Look towards the heaven the number and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to them, God said to Abraham, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteous, righteousness. Genesis 12 I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In both of those times, God, or Abraham believes what God has said about him. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Through belief, and trust in God, and faith in God. Abraham received the complete righteousness of God. See, even Abraham was saved by faith, justified by faith. And we are justified and sanctified in the same way as he was, by faith alone. Romans 4 flushes this out a little bit more and connects Abraham, uh, Abraham's faith to our faith. Uh, Romans chapter 4, no belief, this is talking about Abraham, no belief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's faith, by the way, right there. That fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the, sake, uh, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but were for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Timberline Church, do not be deceived, do not be led astray, do not waver in your faith. God is able to do what he promised. Continue to look to Jesus through eyes of faith, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Do not trust in your own ability to keep the rules. The same righteousness that was given to Abraham is also given to you through faith. May we know nothing other than Christ crucified. 
and let us with all our might trust in the work of Christ. That is all we need. We don't need more than that, and there's nothing we can do to add to that. Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin, but live to righteousness. Through faith in our risen Lord Jesus, let us continue to run the race set before us, knowing that Christ, who has began a good work in you by faith, will bring it about to completion by faith in the day of Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise your name. We praise your name that you have done everything that we need to do um, for salvation to be considered and declared righteous before you, justified. Lord, as we walk in this Christian life, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to give us eyes of faith um, that we may see you more clearly, that we may love you more deeply, and that as we go out into our week, Lord, we know, all of us know that you look so sweet and so beautiful today, but as we go throughout our week, we are so often led astray, we are so often um, deceived in our own thinking, and we're so often quick to sin. Lord, help us to fight, help us to work through the power that you provide. Lord, be with us, and Lord, would you be glorified in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. The... Uh, the ushers are going to come up and dismiss you row by row to take communion. And as you're, as you're waiting, take some time to consider, take some time to uh, confess your sins and, and see Jesus and take time uh, to consider Christ on the cross. And then when we're all together, we'll take it together at the end. i yeah.